This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Do you love Jesus? Turn to your neighbor and say, do you love Jesus? Yeah, today I am honored, I'm privileged to be able to introduce to you a a friend of mine. Uh, You've heard him preach before, but a friend of mine, he's not just been a friend. Uh, I can tell you that through a season, this last season in my life, he's been a pastor in my life. He attends our church regularly. But would you welcome Larry as he comes? He's Larry Tomlinson. Come on, let's give him a hand. Thank you, thank you. That's enough of the cult worship now. That's, I want to thank you, Pastor Kevin, for this opportunity. As I always try to do, it's an honor and a privilege to stand before you all and share. Is it that? Share God's word. We'll do it this way. Maybe that'll work. Uh, I just never imagined after I retired that I would be able to, to still preach like this. And... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm very blessed. So thank you, Pastor, and may the blessing return back to you. I'm glad you're all here. Welcome. And uh, those of you on the other side of the camera, too, wish you were here, would like to hug you and talk with you as well. And we're going to go on with this series, Bible 101. I brought my old preaching Bible with me, which I don't use anymore because of this, this stuff. Somebody was commenting earlier, boy, that looks like you really were... Yeah, well, I want to tell you, it's just my preaching Bible, not my study Bible. And one of the reasons it looks like it does is because I've managed to drop it in a mud puddle or two and stuff like that. But it makes me look holy, right? <laughs> you know, pages are coming out, things like that. It makes me, makes me feel like, you know, hey, hey, look at me, right? But really, the Word of God is, is what we want to look at. And that's what we want to be filled with. I, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, and most of you probably are, but just for those of you who aren't aware... I retired in 2017 from full-time ministry, and uh, uh, we wound up here at Relevant Life, and I never imagined I wouldn't have a rocking chair, but we're, uh, we help lead the, uh, the uh, uh, Empty Nesters Plus, sorry, and uh, also we're in charge of the prayer team here, and a few other things as well, as well as being allowed to preach and, and uh, share God's Word with you. Uh, speaking of... In, uh, the Empty Nesters Plus. How many of you know what the plus means? What do you think it means? People up to 150, you know, maybe after, after Empty Nesters. Well, it can be that. Actually, it's up to 149. But nonetheless, <laughs> what it's really about is that maybe you're one of those people, you've got a college student and they're 26 years old living in your basement and you don't feel like you're really, am I an empty nester? To us, you are. Come, come be with us anyway. You know, come on. There's just one left, and you'd like to get rid of them. It's okay. Come, to, come, be, come be with us. Get them off your insurance rolls. You know, all that sort of stuff. But you can come be with us. We, we're not so, so tied in to, to a definition that we don't want to be with people who, who need a connection. So come on. Ne- uh, next, uh, on the 30th, you saw the announcement. There, there's a barbecue. Come be with us. Love to have you do that. As far as prayer team, we need more team, team members. This church, whether we really understand or not, does not run on pastor's personality or his drive <laughs> or anyone else's. It runs on the power of prayer and connection with God. And uh, these lovely, wonderful people, they come up front to pray. There's some that are, don't ever come up front to pray. 
and, and, but they pray every time a request comes in, and they, they, and they pray even beyond that. Uh, so if you'd like to join us, meet with Jan or me and, and, and help us out. All it takes is you being willing to spend some time with God for other people and for the church. So please help us. Now there's my commercial. We're done with the commercial. I'm going to turn this around and see if we can get rid of this ring just a little bit. Um, let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I need your help today. This is a different message than I think I've ever preached. And I, I really need your spirit to speak to the people and speak through me, but don't make it about me and touch people's hearts and lives for you. Amen. Just like Jesse said, let's help us all take a step towards you today. Yeah. And may my message be uplifting and edifying. May it touch hearts and lives, not about me or Jan or my children or anyone like that, but help us touch our lives for Jesus Christ. And, and help us serve you and walk towards you and with you at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Jan, can you come? I'm going to use this, and all my notes are in there. All my books. Oh, uh, by the way, I had a couple of people talk to me ahead of time, and I don't have a slide for this, but if you're interested in some Internet help for your Bible study, Blue Letter Bible is a wonderful wonderful online source, and it's the kind that will take you into all the old books and definitions and all that sort of stuff, but it'll also show you the Greek or the Hebrew, and even if you hit the right little sound button, it'll pronounce it for you. So you sound really, really smart when you talk with somebody else. But it's really great. It's really great for, for me, for my purposes, for Bible study. Another one is Bible Gateway, and all you got to do is, I'm not going to give you an address, Blue Letter Bible, go .com, you'll find it. Bible Gateway, you'll find it. It's, it's excellent uh, online material. There were many, many uh, versions of the Bible, etc. Well, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Trenton have done an excellent job of encouraging us to learn and know the Bible. I feel like at times I've been back to college or whatever, receiving this information. It's good, and it's, it's excellent. Um, I have been motivated just by this mess these messages that when I do my daily devotions, I, I think, don't let your mind wander. Get back to what you're supposed to be doing here. Open your heart to God. See what the Word says for you today. Uh, look for something today, especially today, because like you, I can fall into the trap sometimes of going, hey, I just read three Psalms. What did I read? Hmm. Well, I did go over my, my what I have to do today list and, and all that sort of thing, and I did get to thinking about, about this and that, and we've got to learn to, to discipline ourselves. It is God's word. Yeah. Receive it as God's word. If Jesus were standing right in front of you and talking, would you go over your grocery list while he was doing it? I, I don't think so. But when it seems to be in written form, we tend to get distracted. But it's really meant a lot to me. We're going to do a quick review before I plunge ahead with today's message. Our foundational scripture is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Notice the four things it'll do for you there. Teach, rebuke, correct, and train, right? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture, all Scripture is from God. Okay, not just your favorite Scriptures, but all Scriptures. Even the Scriptures you don't like are from God. And, it, uh, and they do apply to our lives. They are comprehensive in the, in the coverage. And I hope to talk a little bit about that today. The goal of this series 
is not to tell you more from the Bible, but to teach and inspire you to learn from the Bible yourself. I want to paraphrase that a little bit into other words. The goal for you is to be a people who do not say, the pastor says this and so, or the church believes this and so, but rather to be a people who says, the Bible says this and so. That you know the Bible and you have an authority because you know the Bible and you walk in the Bible, you live out the Bible in, in, in your own rights. To, to you, we want you to be authoritative and experienced in your own right in the Bible. Another review point is our desire is that our RLC would not be a people that just hear about the Bible on Sunday, but that we would be people that personally use and know the Bible Monday to Saturday. And I want to rebuke our, our pastors here. We've got to reword that. Use and know the Bible Sunday to Saturday. Because I have literally seen people go out of church on Sunday, and their, their behavior in the parking lot was not biblical afterwards. So let's do it Sunday as well as the rest of, of, the, rest of the week. Okay. Hey, let me ask you this. When you go to the doctor's clinic or Salem Health or so, somewhere, when you go somewhere for your medical stuff, do you want that medical staff to be knowledgeable and skilled in their profession? Would you prefer that they read the latest manuals and the latest journals? Do you want all the drivers on the road to look like they've at least skimmed the driver's manual? Huh? Just have, a, just have an idea what right turns, left turns, and turn signals and red lights are all about. Would you like that? Do you want a mechanic to say, hey, I know how to use a 916 wrench, and that's all I know how to use. I couldn't use a half-inch wrench. I couldn't use an air tool. I couldn't use a computer. I don't know what to do with your car, but I got a 916-inch wrench. You know, a lot of Christians walk around like that. I got this scripture but I don't have the rest of them. I'm going to tell you now that I believe that the people in your life, whether it's your family or your neighbors or your, the people you work with, are looking for you, if you claim Christ, to be as competent as in the Bible as you want your doctors to be with your medicine or your mechanic to be with your car or the other drivers on the road. That's what they're looking for, is people of integrity who can speak the word but also live the word. That you're not gossiping about your boss or nagging at your husband or wife or that sort of thing. When the Bible clearly tells you how to live for Jesus Christ, read it, learn it, and live it is the way I would, I, would, I would say. Finally, because the Bible is true, it's relatable and applicable. They've come up with this great saying. I don't know what this quote is from. Uh, let's move on. Yeah. Will you guys read this with me? Pastor's done this really well, but will you read this with me? This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the word of God. I'll boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. Because the Bible is true, it works in real life. That's the title of my message, and that's what this is about. That's where I'm going to focus today. Because it's true, it works in our lives, meaning it will apply to every circumstance that you or I face. Divorce, death, illness, money issues, relational issues, work issues, all issues. It's all, it's all in the Bible. No attitude, no emotion, no thinking or action escapes the Bible's power to bring right thinking and the Spirit's power to it. 
What I hope to accomplish today is to show you how that has worked in my life so that you might be motivated to see that you can apply to your lives. Like I said, this message is not one I've ever used this style or anything before, and, and I just pray that the Spirit works through what I have to say for you. Our ability to trust and have faith in God, number one, is directly related to our relationship with God's Word. And I'm going to build into that with two scriptures. Hebrews 11:6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Okay, you got to start there. You cannot please God by earning your way to heaven. You cannot please God by having mommy and daddy who are really godly, but you just kind of do things your way. You cannot please God because you're friends with the pastor. You cannot please God because you give a lot of money to the church. You can only please God because you believe that he exists and that you earnestly or diligently seek him. You chase after him. And that's kind of what the reading the Bible and stuff is about. Deeper faith strengthens us in both positive and negative situations in real life. And the more we please God in who we are, the more we are close to him and the more we see him work. The faith we exercise, the more faith we exercise, the more our relationship with God and man thrives. The word of God, the Bible, is the source of our faith and the vehicle that grows our faith. So let me just kind of take a pause here and put it this way. Who created the world? God did. How did he do it? He spoke it forth. He said, let it be, right? Let it be. We didn't invent the gospel. No man invented the gospel. No man invented the word of God. Over 40 authors helped write the word of God with the Holy Spirit's inspiration and direction. But it came first, not our faith. Not, not how much faith we have, even if we aren't saved, but we're, we're believers in trusting in things. No, what comes first is the word of God. That's, what, that's the source of our faith. So we now we turn to see a scripture that helps understand that, Romans 10, 14 to 17. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? In verse 15, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And in verse 17, key verse, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And King James is what? The word of God. The Greek word there is Christos, but it's the word of Christ. Who is God, by the way? So it fits either way. Your faith journey began when you heard the gospel message from the Bible and responded to it. Without the message, there is no opportunity to be saved. Again, I'll say it. We didn't invent the big story that Pastor talked about. We didn't invent you know, Eden and, and, and Revelation and everything in between and figure this all out and, and okay, now there's something for, for people to, to do. Instead, it came to us by grace and by mercy. And we gave, because of the Holy Spirit's insistence, our heart to the Lord. Someone carried the Bible's message of salvation to you, whether it was your parents or your pastor or an evangelist or a friend or an angel or a tract. I want to tell you how it worked for me. This is where I deviate from my normal style. Many of you have your own story of how you came to God, but it will always center around you hearing the message of Jesus Christ and having the Bible speak to you. I grew up in a little town in central Oregon, and I can tell you this, that I did not know a Christian witness anywhere in our town. 
I went to school through the eighth grade or so with the daughter of the Baptist pastor who never shared her faith with anyone as far as I know. Maybe she didn't have faith. We, uh, we gave honor to God in that town like a lot of people do. Fourth of July, you say something, maybe a local pastor comes to pray. The church I grew up in, which we only attended once or twice a month, if that, didn't preach the gospel. Yes, people, there are folks out, there are churches out there that preach about morality, goodness, kindness, graciousness, all sorts of things like that, but they will never tell you how to give your life to Jesus Christ. They will never say you must trust in him. It's implied, but it's not really there. So when I got to be 13 or 14 or 15, you know, when you're smart and you know everything there is to know in the whole world, I decided I was an atheist. I didn't need God, and these Christian people were crazy because I had no influence. I had nothing else happening in my life that, that would speak otherwise. I got to be 18, and by a course of events, I wound up at college down here at Monmouth. Then it was known by the mighty name of Oregon College of Education because it was, about, it was a teacher's college. And I went to an incoming freshman dance. And I picked up a cute-looking chick. She was about this tall. And we had a dance together. And then, lo and behold, a miracle happened. This never happened to her in my, in my little school. She actually talked to me. We, so we went upstairs in the, in the, in the building where the, stair, where the uh, dance was. And we sat down and we talked for a while. And uh, we struck up a relationship. And it, it was really cool. She told me pretty clearly as I advanced my great theories of atheism and, and humanism and that sort of stuff, that she was a Christian and that she was born again and that I needed to be born again. And she quoted John 3.16 to me, one of the most basic scriptures we Christians in America know, right? God so loved the world. Hmm, I thought. I've never met anybody with that kind of faith. Never in my life. Separated from God. I didn't know it then. I was living in a dark place. And uh, the time came when I asked her to marry me. It took me about a week to decide that. <laughs> and I asked Jan, my bride, I asked her to marry me. And she shot an arrow prayer to God because here's what, how she'd been trained in the church. You don't yoke unequally. You don't marry non-Christians. And I believe that because I've seen too much heartache as a pastor of people who are drawn away from Christ because their ungodly spouse decides church isn't for them and whines a lot and all sorts of things like that. But she shot an arrow prayer to God, and God said, it's okay, say yes. I don't know why, but he did. And the very next moment, the very next moment, I'm not talking about more hugs and kisses or anything like that. I'm telling you what happened as I blurted out, and I've got to give my life to Christ. And it felt like electricity started here and went down through my entire body, all the way to my toes. And I believe that was the power of the Holy Spirit causing me to be born again, renewing me. I walked into asking her for her hand in marriage and, and walked out. I walked in an atheist, walked out a, a believer. And my life totally changed from that moment on. I won't tell you I was sanctified or anything like that. I had a lot of journey to go to get anywhere close to God. Our grandchildren know this story, and they've been expressly told to do as we say and not as we did. Let, <laughs> let the one you love find God first before you enter into any kind of thoughts of marriage. If she'd have stayed strong, I think I'd have still been 
I had, had to come to Jesus before we could be married. My point is this. My faith was born when I heard the message of the Scripture. I saw someone live that message, and I accepted it for myself. Without the Bible's message, I cannot enter faith and therefore cannot please God. And if you do believe the Scripture that says we, the church, are to take the message to the world, then you best know and live that message. That's what this whole series is about, being grounded in God's Word, which is from God and of God and is God even, in a sense of the logos of Jesus Christ and logos is the Bible. They're the same thing. So you, we together, if we want to see people saved, we've got to share the message that we know is in, in our hearts. But here's this. I want to go on to say this. That's the beginning point. That's where faith begins. But can the Bible help me when I'm in need of faith at any other time? Can it do that? Is it just a born-again experience? Good, you know, and the problem is we've had a lot of preaching back in the 40s and 50s and 60s about that. Just get born again, your life changes, everything's good. And then if you look in the church, you find out it lives no differently than the world does. The Bible must be applicable and relatable in the rest of our lives as well. It must be life-changing in every way. Is it real? Does it work? Yes. It is never about just bringing you to a saving faith. It is also about bringing you to a living faith, a daily faith. We are to walk in a relationship with God that includes listening to what he says so we can implement that into our life journey. It's not a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. And I want to share one example from my life. It's about being in crisis. There came a time quite a while ago, my daughter Tammy will not let me tell you how long ago exactly, um, because she was born then. <laughs> I woke up uh, in the middle of the night, one or two in the morning, some of you have had this experience, and my wife was in the bathroom, and her voice came floating to me, Larry, I think it's time. Well, when your wife is nine months and a week or two pregnant, you know what it's time means, don't you? Get out of the way, get off the road, I'm coming to the hospital. Oh, go get my wife, and then go to the hospital, right? Yes, let's go, let's go. So we call the doctor, and the doctor says, oh, her contractions aren't close enough together. Just wait, you know, until 6 or 7 o'clock, and come on in. We, kept, we call in on a, you know hourly basis or whatever. Okay, it's time. Come on in. We go down to the old Salem Hospital, which doesn't even exist anymore. It's been leveled. It was down there off of Center Street, Greer, down in that area. And uh, we come in there to the reception room in the maternity area. And boy, is Larry excited. We're going to have a baby. And we come in there, and we check her in, and they're gonna, after a while, they come get her, take her back to the labor room. And uh, uh, I, I'm afraid I was, this was right at that juncture of time where husbands were beginning to go into the, the birth room, right? So Jan asked me a month or two ahead of time, do you want to do that? And foolishly, I said, no. <laughs> I watch TV. The husband's supposed to walk in the waiting room and pace, you know, back and forth and things like that. I, 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 no, that's not what I want to do. So here I was out in the waiting room, and I would go back and see her and all this sort of thing. Well, I was thinking we'd have a baby in a couple of hours. But no, that didn't happen. Waiting all day long, 
all day long. Eventually, her mother joined me, waiting and waiting. And finally, about 9 o'clock that night, they decide to wheel her into the delivery room. Okay, you're finally ready for this baby. Okay, so I go back out to the waiting room, talk to mother-in-law. It's just going to be a few minutes. It's just going to be a few minutes. And, and at that time, in the reception room, there is uh, the reception desk. The, the, there's two signs behind the reception. One is pink and one is blue. And when a baby girl was born, there would be a ding, and a little pink sign would come on and say, it's a girl. Ding, it's a boy. So the game you play while you're out there is how many boys, how many girls. You know, you're just, you're just looking at it. And so it's 9 o'clock, and I'm going, okay, we're going to have a baby pretty soon. 9.30 comes by, and the thing is dinging like crazy because at that time there were so many women having babies. They even had people, women in gurneys in the hallway waiting to deliver. And they were popping babies right and left. 9.30 came, and 10 o'clock came, and 10.30 came. Well, sorry for that, that terminology, but they were. And the waiting room was becoming empty. And I'm, I've been there since 6 o'clock in the morning. And I don't have a baby. Knowing that, I don't have any communication from the doctor. I don't know what's going on. 10.30 comes. 11 o'clock comes. And just about 11.30, we're almost all alone out in the lobby, a nurse comes out from a different door around a corner, and then they wore nurse whites. You remember the day? And they had the little caps on and all that. She had on an apron, a white apron. There were blood spatters all over it. And she says to me, you got a baby girl. But there were a lot of problems. She was stuck in the birth canal for about an hour. Four doctors worked to deliver her. And now we finally got her out, and she's not breathing. So we have separated her and mom. She's up in an oxygen isolate, which just means a big oxygen. They didn't put tubes in her nose in. They just put them in a box, plastic box with oxygen going into it. And uh, your wife is down in the hallway, and she is not doing well either. That's not what a first-time father wants to hear. That's not what anybody wants to hear. So I... I go see my baby girl, can't touch her, can't hug her. She's screaming to bloody murder, thank goodness, and trying to even arch her back at that time because she's not in that nice, safe womb anymore. Go down to see my wife who has oxygen in her nose, and the doctors are, the nurses are checking on her every five minutes to see what, how she's doing. Remember, there's no telemetry like we have nowadays, none wires and all that sort of stuff. I'm numb. I make my phone calls back to dad-in-law and my parents, and I go sit in the lobby. And in the meantime, the nurse said, we have called the best pediatrician in town to come down and assess your baby because there's a very good chance your baby will not be developed in the brain because of the lack of oxygen. So I sat for three hours with my mother-in-law, who's a silent woman, and I was silent and waited for this doctor to show up. I only had one thing I could do in that three hours. And that was keep thinking this. God, you said you'd move mountains. God, you said you'd move mountains. 
God, you said you'd move mountains. I'd only been saved three or four years, but I'd read my Bible through already. And I knew that in Matthew 17, and I think chapter 21 as well, it says that mountains will move. And that's all I could say. I would like to tell you I had great faith and the Holy Spirit came on me and, and I danced all through the lobby. I didn't. I sat there numb as could be, holding on to one scripture, God, you can move mountains. Was I facing a life with a, a child that be, would, would need care? Was I going to have a wife when I walked out in a few hours? What was left? You're young. You think you've got the world by the tail. And the world turns around and bites you hard. That doctor came for all of our waiting and looked at Tammy and said, uh, she's too little. I can't tell you whether she's damaged or not. Eh, see ya. So all I could do is hold on to a promise because God said it. I had to believe it. He meant it. It had to apply to me for that day. And God turned everything around. The good news is I got to keep my wife and have another child, the handsome fellow you know as Dane, who claims that at his birth, he showed up, smooth as could be, came out, stood up and said, oh, my dear mother, aren't you glad that I in no way caused you the pain and suffering that my much, 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 much older sister did? How may I serve you, mother, my love? Well, he did not say it, but I think he thought it. Oh, and Tammy did all right, I guess. She skipped a year of school in middle school because she was academically ahead. She finished high school at 16 and graduated cum laude from college at 20. Works in a corporation with well over 1,000 employees has moved herself up to director status below vice president is a consultant to the president and vice presidents. I thank God she's got her mom smarts because she sure didn't get them from me. <laughs> Academics were her deal and athletics were Dane's and we couldn't be more proud of them both. But what makes us happiest is that they know Jesus Christ is their savior and so do their children. Amen. So I want to say this. What if the reverse had happened? What if I was a widower at the age of 22 and had a little girl that couldn't think for herself. God still moves mountains. It would be just a different mountain to move. Sorry for the emotion. It's just how deep it was at that time. Just because God gives me a promise doesn't mean it'll turn out the way I want it to be. But it doesn't negate the promise. Because God is eternal, and I live in a temporary time, and he can work powerful things through me, no matter what, and to me, and in me. And I would beseech you, make the Bible your standard. Yes. It's all I had to hold on to, and it was far better than holding on to myself or to nothing. Far better. The Bible is God's word given to bring you to faith, and is the soil in which your faith grows in real life. First comes the word, and then faith follows. If you want your faith to grow, then make the Bible your experience. It's kind of like as a child. Do you want to grow up? Eat your food. Even the vegetables mom tells you to eat you don't like. 
The record is given to us so that we can trust him. If the Lord carried Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Peter, John, and Paul, he will carry you as well. I'll tell you this now, you sit amongst people, as few of us as there are today, and I know it's July, I get it, but you still sit amongst people who have seen miracles work in their life because of the power of God. The Holy Spirit is active today, working through his word and your faith to make sure that you survive and that you thrive. This is the truth. We are walking miracles, many of us. And you're just a miracle because you're born again if you've given your life to Christ. And if you have not given your life to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity later to say, I've heard the message and I want to respond to it. The Bible is true and it's relatable and applicable. Now, I've told you two stories, one from a long time ago when I got saved and one from almost as long ago when we had our, our, our children. I want to tell you one from today. In the last month or so, we had, well, it happened last year and then the plumber said everything was going to be okay. But in the last month or so, our sewer backed up. <clears throat> when that stuff backs up, you have to fix it. You don't get out of it. And it's not covered by home, your sewer is not covered by your homeowner's insurance. It's your problem. Eau du sewer is not a fragrance I would put in a, you know, a scented candle or anything. It's bad. It's awful. Oh, so they unplugged it and all that, but they said, we got to fix it. And it's not cheap. It reduced our savings account significantly. Lots of money. So what did we do? Facing this kind of thing where we're, we're retired, money is important. What did we do? Well, we raised our support for two missionaries, gave more money per month, and we supported more people uh, with one-time donations in that same time period. You know why? Because we believe what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The Bible gives us a promise, and I have chosen to believe it. That's, that's what me. The Bible, I'm going to believe it. Because the Bible says so, we give. Right. We don't give for a material return. Hey, I've tithed all my married life. And I would trade money in the bank for my children knowing Jesus Christ. Yes. I would double tithe for my children. I would triple tithe for my kids and grandkids to know Jesus Christ. It isn't about the money. It's about honoring God and his word. Because the Bible says so, we give. We don't get that material turn. We give to please and glorify God. If God gives us more cash, fine, then, whatever. That's just another opportunity to tie some more and give more to missions. Support the, the car wash, that sort of thing. Again, Jan and I aren't special here. Several of you, many of you, I'm sure, have sat here and could tell stories of walking according to Scripture regarding your finances, tell of God supplying your needs. Financial setbacks happen from time to time, but God is true to his word at all times. Amen. If I know that, my faith gets stronger, and strong faith doesn't carry me through. Strong faith does not carry me through. 
Strong faith in a strong God carries me through. A God who gave me his promises and he keeps them. All right, let's wrap up. There are keys to follow about how the scripture increases our faith quotient. Move with me to Luke chapter 5. This is in no way an in-depth Bible study. My whole purpose, my focus today is to help you know this. The Bible is real and works in real life. So I just want to hit you with some things that you've probably already heard from the previous sermons, but I, I want to share them from a different perspective. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to set a bit of context, and that is this, the, that uh, Luke 4, and this is early in Jesus' ministry. He's just been baptized in Luke 4. He's gone to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's preached, and they have rejected him. They took him out to the brow of the hill, right? So he moved down to Capernaum, and he's preaching in, in all the little towns, and Capernaum is right on the north shore of Galilee. I have been there twice. And he's down there, and on, in Luke 4, he preaches in the synagogue, and a, a, a guy who has a demon spirit is there, and he delivers him, and of course, the Pharisees object. That very day, after he's done, he goes to Peter's house. Peter's a fisherman in Capernaum. That house has been discovered archaeologically. They have found that house. If you look it up, and the Catholics have built a big shrine church over the top of it, but they have found that house. And and they, and they know because it was, the, it was called the Church of Peter, and they kept archaeologically digging, and they found another smaller church underneath because of the earthquakes and another one. And they finally got down to a single home, and it had a fisherman's sign in it. And they said, this has, Peter had a church in his house in Galilee. And he went there, and he healed, he healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. Now, chapter 5, and I want to read this to you. It'll take a little bit. Chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to what? The word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for everything. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. First key, exposure. We see that Peter heard the word of God in the synagogue. He heard it in his home. He saw, saw this woman be healed, his mother-in-law healed. He heard it on the beach. He heard it from his own boat, but he wasn't a believer yet. To allow the Bible to initiate and grow faith, each of us needs to expose ourselves to it. This is what daily devotions are about. This is what reading and studying are about. This is what being faithful to church and to Bible study are about exposure. You cannot know the Word of God and have faith because of the Word of God unless you have opened your heart and exposed yourself to the Word of God. Read it. Open your heart to it. Listen to it. Memorize it. Hear others talk about it. Study it. Meditate it. 
Read it through so you see the great big story. And also, if you, I've, I've read the Bible through so many times, I finally stopped doing it. Because I needed to take the word and take small portions and just let that come into my heart and life and read it every day. I'd read it every day and read it every day. You'd be surprised what reading the, the Lord's Prayer every day will do for you. Or Psalm 23. I'm just mentioning a couple simple ones. You read a scripture every day, every day, and you think about it. You sit there for 10 minutes and you think, what does this mean? What is, you start seeing meanings that, that the Lord is revealing to you. Do that. Bring it into your life. Second key, obedience. Next, you hear Peter make this statement. Master, we worked all, hard all night and haven't caught anything. Lord, I've done it uh, the way you said, and it hasn't worked. I haven't caught a thing. But then he says this, because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Just knowing the Bible is not enough. Thinking it won't work because you've got other things to do in your own power isn't going to activate the need. You, the faith you need. Obedience to the authority of God as revealed in the Bible, God's word will give you the opportunity to see his abundance in your life is found when you trust what he says and trust enough to obey what he says. Every time you make a conscious decision to incorporate the Bible into the direction and circumstances of your life, no matter what has happened the night before, because he says so, your trust in God will grow in strength. And as your faith grows, your sense of blessing, of peace, and purpose, and of rightness with God, and his nearness will grow as well. Finally, leaving everything is key. Now, I'm not telling you when we say leave everything, to sell everything you have, empty all your bank accounts, give me the money, and go live on a hilltop waiting for a God revelation. The only thing spiritually, or not even spiritually, that that's going to accomplish is I might, might be able to pay off the sewer bill quicker, right, if you, if you do that. That's the way cults are formed. Leave everything. Give me all your money, you know. Last week, PK masterfully laid out the concept of worldview. How we see is how we think, or how we think is how we see. It works both ways. I would encourage you to revisit that message on the website if you need a refresher. Here's what I mean by leaving everything. I mean that to allow the Bible to grow your faith, you decide that the biblical worldview is the only way to view the world. You don't have near the wrestling matches between materialism and the Bible or between uh, pleasure and the Bible. You decide that the Bible is your standard. You leave behind whatever else would argue against God and say, before we have any debate, we're starting with Jesus. We're starting with the Bible. We're starting with what it says. I've got to leave behind any thoughts. You decide that materialism, individualism, hedonism, naturalism, and all the other isms of this world are not for you. Leave what the world says is best and believe what the Bible says is best. There's no other choice but to follow Jesus and to believe in his word. It is real it is applicable. It is powerful. It will assist you all the way through life. And I don't care if life kicks you and beats you down and takes advantage of you and you make mistake after mistake. If you grab that Bible and you believe and you think that God is going to help you and you trust him for that help, you're going to have a better life than the best millionaire up in 
whatever penthouse he's in because you're going to be pleasing God and God's pleasure will show in your life and you will have what no nobody without God has eternal life an abundant life and it's all in the word because it starts with the word it's the expression of God himself of course these three things exposure obedience and uh, leaving the world behind are cyclical, cyclical sorry cyclical and they stack on each other and they sometimes you do more exposing and sometimes more obeying and sometimes more leaving and these are spiritual and they fold all into each other but they're all there you can't you cannot cannot be as close to God as possible and take your Bible and put it in your little personal heart safe close the door on it and and work to, and you know throw the combination and say I don't really need to look at it now instead it's got to come over to your heart safe where the door is open and you you're exposed to it you're obeying it you're leaving other thoughts behind these are all important I just want to share with you today in a different way for me Bible's real the Bible applies no matter what's happening in your life will you bow your heads with me please I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward now if they would please if you're on the prayer team we'd appreciate that because I want to give opportunity for people to to uh, come to the Lord today and these people up front will pray with you not just for your needs but if you're sitting out here and say the Holy Spirit's spoken to my heart and I, I do need to respond to that message these people will pray for you and help you uh accept Christ for the first time or repent and come to Christ again and again, whatever. They're here for you to, to just to be your partner and to pray with you. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, please bless what I'm about to do and help us, please help me. If you are here and you need to place your faith in Christ, please come forward. These people will pray for you. And you don't have to come this instant. They'll be here for a while after service. But this is a time for you to do that. I know many of you are believers. You're here faithful in a summer day, and I'm thankful for that. But if you're online and you can't come forward, you can bow your head and pray this prayer. It'll sound like this. Father, I do want Jesus in my life. I want to respond to your word and your message. I, I want to be saved, and I want, to, I want to come and live for you, turn my life over to you. I know you're not promising me that life will be easy, but you are willing and have died for me that I might have eternal life. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. That's what that prayer will sound like. Father, now I pray, I pray your blessing into people's lives. May they walk in the reality and the application of the word of God. May they find that no matter what situation they're in, what, what moment they are, whether they're prospered or whether they're, they're attacked and weakened, Lord, whether they've been in a car accident or been through surgery or, or have another health problem or whether fa there's family problems or whatever, work problems, or whether there's great blessing just pouring out in their life, they can hardly contain it, that they would realize and find that their faith needs to be centered in what you say because what you say is true. It's real. It's applicable. It will work in their lives. I want them to be closer to you, Lord. 
as Jesse said, a step every day, a step closer. Draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Well, near to you is coming to your feet to listen to what you have to say to us. Near to you is when we get up from your feet and walk into life, Lord, is carrying that word with us. And we ask for your help. We ask for your power. Please work in our lives in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Thank you again for this opportunity. Uh, like I said, these people are here to pray with you. If you, uh, if you have any need, please take advantage of that because you will sense the God's presence here at, uh, with them. Bless you. Love you. Have a great day. Lights can come up. People can talk with each other in fellowship. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.